in part two of a three-part series called Eternity Series that I'm real excited about. Last week, we talked about heaven and this revelatory realm, this revelation for place that the Lord has actually presented an open door to the body of Christ right now to have to, for us to be stepping in to that realm on this side of eternity, which is very exciting. If you weren't here for that, I encourage you uh, to listen to that teaching. I imagine it's online, um, but I get really excited talking about heaven. We're going to talk more next week about just the new Jerusalem, the eternal city we'll be living in. Um, this week, we're going to talk about hell. So many people so excited. I see some regulars that aren't here today. Maybe I've already scared them. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, just a, a very difficult subject for a lot to talk about. It is a difficult subject to study, um, but it's a very important one. There's a lot of uh, funny, unbiblical, jaded teaching um, in the world and even in the churches, um, uh, particularly uh, in the West today, regarding the subject of hell. Um, but uh, it's very important. The New Testament talks about it a lot. Um, and so some of us come here like, oh, why do, I, why do I need to know about hell? Why do I need to know what the Bible says about it? What is it? Who goes there? Would a loving God send people there? If so, why? So I want to cover those topics today. And I have a lot to say in a little time. So um, looking at the clock. <laughs> but um, we're not just getting a revelation of hell. We're getting a revelation of Jesus Christ as a righteous judge. The Lord's highlighting three faces of Jesus right now in this last generation. Jesus is a bridegroom, a passionate bridegroom, um, a powerful king, and a righteous judge. And we need all of these pictures of Jesus to understand the other. What we're teaching our internships, what we're teaching um, here on uh, through, through Sundays and Thursdays, um, that's the heart we want to convey. So let's just ask him to show us. Father, we love Jesus today. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that, Lord, you want to talk to us about his heart. I ask for revelation of Jesus as a righteous judge, as a, as a passionate bridegroom, Lord, who is so in love with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so why are we talking about hell? Um, some of us get the idea that the Old Testament God is the angry God and that the New Testament God is the good, merciful God. Totally unscriptural view of the Lord, um, and in fact, hell is not talked about nearly as much in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Um, the person that talks about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures is Jesus himself. The one who said God so loved the world is the one who taught on hell more than anybody. And most of the time that Jesus was talking about hell, it wasn't used as an evangelism tool to the lost. Most of the time he was talking about hell, he was addressing uh, his followers, and particularly his inner circle of followers. And uh, we're going to talk about that, uh, um, why, why I think that is. But um, he's, he's talking about hell um, to release the fear of the Lord in believers, to, to have them separate themselves from sin as much as possible, um, and, uh, and to just, just to purify the church um, of, uh, of compromise. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions hell um, a couple of times. And the context of Sermon on the Mount is Jesus has just finished casting demons out of people and healing their sicknesses all day, I imagine. One by one, they drag their daughter up there. She's demon-possessed. He prays for him. Power of God hits. Demons cast out. Sick person comes up in cane, wheelchair, healing. They're set free. And, and all day he's doing this. And then he gets up on the mountain and he decides to teach them. That's where we get Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's talking about the Beatitudes. He's talking about these heart standards. He's talking about spiritual disciplines. And he's, and he's talking about ways to avoid sin. And two particular sins he highlights, he uses hell as a motivation for people to stay as far away from this kind of sin as possible. One is anger and hatred and slander towards other believers. He says, if anyone calls his brother a fool, an idiot, a moron, they don't know what they're talking about, you are in danger of hellfire, is what he's telling them. Um, so I just really would encourage you that if you're coming from a place where you criticize um, people in the body, other brothers or, or leaders in the church, um, 
that, uh, that you really take this message to heart. Um, the other one is lust, immorality. Um, sexual immorality in the Bible is described as, as sexual activity that is outside of the covenant of, uh, of a marriage, outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And Jesus is particularly talking about lust to the eye. So pornography, um, lustful thinking, that's what he's getting to the heart of it right there. And he's saying, if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better that you go into the kingdom of God with only one than to go into hell with both. That was Jesus' form of follow-up deliverance ministry. Um, so... Um, he's saying, go to extremes. I struggle with pornography. Cut off the computer. Cut off the internet. Put something on there just to, 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 block, to block your ability to do it. Go to the extremes to separate yourself from sin as much as possible. You don't want hell to have access in your life. Um, again, this wasn't, hell wasn't what the scriptures I'm going to be sharing with you and such isn't ammo for you to go minister to that lost guy on the street and start preaching hellfire and brimstone. Um, I believe it is an important to, to make people aware of it, and I'll get more into that. There's a lot of disclaimers on that statement. But, um, but again, Jesus' primary audience was believers. John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, First Great Awakening, 1741 in Connecticut, he is preaching the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If anyone's ever read it, it's very intense. He's preaching to a church. Um, and he is... Uh, um, tradition holds that he is staring off in the distance, reading in a monotone voice from a piece of paper. And such a spirit of conviction falls on the people that they actually physically felt the flames of hell coming and touching their feet. People were constantly moaning and groaning during this message, begging him to stop or crying out, what must I do to be saved? Lord, have mercy. Bishops were holding on to the pews kneeling, God have mercy on me, God have mercy on me. And it shook and it woke up a church in compromise. So, it also motivates gospel preaching and strengthens us to endure persecution. Um, Jesus talked about hell when sending out his disciples on a missionary journey, on a faith assault. He was sending them into a hostile environment where, uh, where, where they were likely to get rejected and possibly killed. And he's saying, don't be afraid of those who can destroy your body only, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And what I really think Jesus is saying there is he's saying, don't be afraid of their ability to kill you. Be afraid that I'm going to send them to hell if they don't repent. Don't bow down to fear um, in, in, as, you're, as you're preaching the gospel in that hostile environment. People need to know Jesus. Um, Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Uh, and uh, strengthens us to endure persecution. Already talked about that. That it, it empowers us not to fear. And it's just, you, you hear these testimonies, um, Brother Yun, and just the, it, the level of persecution that he would undergo and the, and, and the grace of God that would come under over him to not deny the Lord in the midst of pressure. And, and, it, and it is just the power, the Holy Spirit released power over him, and, and, it, and, and the Lord wants to do that with each of us. So, okay, what is hell? We've, we've talked about why it's important. Is it figurative? Is it literal? Is it temporal? Is it eternal? These are common questions that people have. Um, but uh, first of all, to answer those questions, there's something very important to know, that there are two resurrections. Say two. Two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the righteous. Two res. The resurrection of the wicked. Okay, wicked. I'm going to tell you when they take place. This is straight out of the Bible. Um, that there is the first one, number one, happens at the rapture. So all this tribulation comes, and then Jesus comes back. He raptures the church, 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ rise, and then, the, and then the, and all the believers that are alive on the earth get caught up in the air, get a resurrected body, and rule and reign with Christ 
for what's called the millennium, this 1,000-year reign. So if that's new to you, this millennium, 1,000 years, um, uh, I have a teaching on return of Jesus. You can probably find that online. I think it's online. Yeah, online. Um, so, uh, and uh, we may talk a little bit about it next week. Anyway, Jesus raptures the saints, 1,000-year reign. He's restoring the earth. And then at the end of this, what's called the great white throne. Great white throne. And this is where resurrection number two happens. This is where the resurrection of the unjust, of the wicked. Jesus talks about this. The prophet Daniel talks about two resurrections of the righteous, of the wicked. So, that's important. Revelation 20, 4 to 6. Um, if you want notes on this, I have a lot of notes that we're not going to get through. But um, if you want them, you can email me at matthew at hszdallas.com. I can send you notes on this that have all the scriptures and such. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, John says, I saw thrones and the saints sat on him, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's that little period right there. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So, when a believer dies, uh, we'll use that in a minute. When a believer dies, like if a believer were to die today, their disembodied spirit would go up into heaven in the presence of the Lord immediately. Um, uh, they don't have a resurrected body yet, they're, but they're enjoying heaven. They're enjoying the presence of the Lord. My brother Daniel passed away on, uh, on, in the summer of 2010. And uh, he's a believer, and his, so his spirit has, has gone up into the presence of the Lord, and he's, with, he's, he's before the throne. He's in heaven with Jesus right now, his spirit. Um, when an unbeliever, but that's a, that's a temporary holding pattern, because there's coming a day when we're going to get an actual resurrected body and enjoy a resurrected earth. Amen? It's going to be exciting. Um, be enjoying Jesus in heaven at a whole new level. So when an unbeliever dies today, an unbeliever were to die before this, so anytime during the millennium or, or before the millennium, they go to a place called Hades. And this is usually what people mean when they, when they talk about hell. Hades is a place, it's a temporary prison for the spirits of unbelievers. I'm going to read from Luke 16. This is Jesus talking, verse 22. There's a, the, the um, rich man in Lazarus. He's telling him a story that this poor man, Lazarus, died, and he was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. That's, that's that heavenly temporary holding pattern that I'm talking about. Um, the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. And in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. So he's in Hades. He's in this prison. He's experiencing torment. And he's consciously experiencing torment, and he's consciously recognizing other people and individuals. So he has that some people think that hell is not a state of mind, that you have no conscience. That's not true. Um, they're very aware of the torment that they're undergoing. Um, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. He's in deep sorrow, and he's crying out for mercy. He's crying out for repentance, but it's too late. And you go to read on, you'll say that he's saying, sorry, I can't, it's, it's too late. And he's saying, warn my family, tell them not to come here. It's horrible, it's horrible, tell them not to come here. It's real. Um, at the second coming of Christ, at the rapture, like I said, believers get a resurrected body. We enjoy heaven um, at, at a whole new level. Um, at the great white throne, um, unbelievers are resurrected. They get a resurrected body, and then they're judged and cast into the lake of fire. So an unbeliever that dies today before the, before the great white throne is experiencing torment in Hades, but will receive a resurrected body one day, be judged by Jesus, and thrown into the lake of fire forever. The Bible teaches clearly that the lake of fire involves literal, conscious, eternal punishment and torment. Physical, emotional, spiritual torment in a real lake with real fire. 
So, is hell temporary? Yes, hell is temporary, but the lake of fire is not. It is eternal. Revelation 14, 9. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he will also drink the full cup, the cup of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented, consciously, you can put in there, with fire and sulfur, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. So it is eternal. It is conscious. There's no sleep. There's no rest from the torment. Um, there are a couple of false teachings out there. One's called annihilationalism. Some people, some different sects and denominations um, of, of Christianity believe in this, that, uh, that, uh, that, one, uh, that an unbeliever, um, they get judged, but then they just get completely destroyed, their spirit, soul, and body, and that they just cease to exist as if they're never born. No state of mind, no conscious. Not true. They will be experiencing serious torment forever. Okay? Um, universalism teaches that all people end up in heaven, that no one goes to hell, that all are somehow, no matter what faith, what religion you're from, all end up going into the presence of the Lord. That is false as well. Um, the descriptions of, of, uh, of hell and of the lake of fire, Jesus, again, is the one who talks about it the most. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, darkness, torment, flame, sorrow, hopelessness, the desire for mercy and repentance, but it's not granted, and people crying out for their families to not go there. Um, uh, Gehenna, which is another form of the lake of fire, I believe um, Jesus is referring to. It's a garbage dump where filth and dead animals were thrown and burnt. It is a literal place. Um, near Jerusalem, uh, for, for filth and dead animals, to, for their bodies to be burned. And Jesus uses it as imagery for, uh, for the lake of fire. And, uh, and he mentions that they're, that they're um, in, in describing Hades, in describing Gehenna, that their worm does not die, that their worms are constantly eating and gnawing at the flesh of, of people. Um, there, are some, there are some individuals that have actually gone to hell and experienced it. Some have witnessed what it looks like. Others have actually experienced it, um, and, uh, and it's, it's, I want to share some of that with you, and, and, and my, my purpose in doing that um, is, is to give us a picture of the reality of hell. Um, as some of these people would go, the Lord, they would say, God, why did you take me here? Why, why, would, why would you do that? There were some believers, they would be taken down into hell, and the Lord would say to them, he said, because there are a lot of people in the earth right now that don't think hell is a literal place. And people, even, even my own people, deny its reality. And so he sent them there to give them a message and a wake-up call. And I believe the Lord is doing that in this last days, this is last generation, that as we're preaching the gospel, that there is a real solid reality in our hearts of the fate of people that do not believe the gospel, believe and obey the gospel. Um. Mary Baxter described she went down for 30 days. Um, she heard moans and groans, regret, um, constant, and demons would constantly remind people of how you could have picked Jesus. You could be in heaven. You could do this. This is where you failed. This is the mistake you made. A constant barrage of demonic accusation and torment. Bill Weiss is a man who spent... Um, Little, approximately 23 minutes in hell experiencing it. He mentioned uh, just it smelling of burning flesh and, and, and uh, burning sulfur, that the demons smell like putrid, rotten meat, the worst smell you can possibly think of, times a thousand. And he said, what, when, whenever, when I was there, it would, it would, it would kill a human being to, to inhale the smell, but, but in Hades, you don't die. Um, it's so to toxic, it would kill a person. Um, and... Uh, and he heard the screaming of billions of people, billions of people. And he said such fear would come on him. Because you think of a, of a, of a, uh, of, of, of a shriek, a bone-rattling sh shriek of one person in agony. And what that does to a person mentally that hears it, imagine billions of people doing that constantly. Flames. Uh, Mary Baxter saw this river of flames where skeletons of people, they'd be chained in these jail cells where fire would come up 
and, and, and torment them, they would feel it. Bill Weiss said the fire and the flames were so incredibly hot, he was wondering in his mind, why am I not dead? Why am I not dead? Um, a, a girl from Ecuador from, named Angelica Zambrano, she saw Jesus was taking her down into hell. And uh, she heard and saw these billions of people screaming. Others have described just this ocean of fire with hands reaching up, wanting for wanting salvation, um, but it's not granted. And um, and that uh, they they would cry out. Um, and uh, she said, "Jesus, Jesus, I, I believe hell's real. I'll tell people it's real. Please don't take me any further." Saying, "No, my daughter. No, my daughter. I must show you this is very important." Um, Mary Baxter said people would cry out, no one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. Tell my family not to come here. Tell my friends not to come here. Tell them to accept Jesus. Tell them to believe Jesus. The worst thing that Bill Weiss talked about with hell was, first of all, that he understood when he was down there that there were people alive on the earth who didn't know about this. No, it was real. And that they were headed there. And he said, but the worst of all things was the sense of hopelessness that he felt, utter hopelessness. He would, uh, he, when he went down, demons would come up to him, throw him against the wall, scratch and gnaw at him, and his flesh would be hanging off of his skin. And he said, he just had this sense of eternity. He said, eternity was so real to me down there. Up here, we don't really grasp forever very much, but down there, you know and you know it's real, and you know you're going to be there forever. The thought of I can't ever talk to my wife or my family again was there. Um, complete torment. So that's what hell's like. It's what, um, who goes there? Who goes there? Um, the Bible gives very specific details about who ends up in hell in the lake of fire, and uh, I don't have time to like go through every single verse. Like I said, if you want the notes, um, you can email me, Matthew at HZ Dallas. But, uh, but we don't have to be in ambiguity a lot of the time. Um, there, there are very specific things that the Bible says. Uh, first of all, all wicked principalities will go to, to the lake of fire. Um, it's uh, Revelation 19 and 20 give most of this. That, uh, so Satan, demons, um, 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 death itself, um, is going to go there, the Antichrist, the false prophet. All of these people will go to the lake of fire, no question. Okay? Does Satan get saved? No. Going to the lake of fire. Tormented day and night. Um, number two, anyone who takes the mark of the beast and worships his image. We read that, Revelation 14. Anyone who worships the beast, receives his mark, will be tormented with fire and with sulfur. Um, it, and uh, so we already read that, Revelation 14. Um, there's coming a day when a man is going gonna, is gonna to come and he's going to gain all this political influence. He's going to bring peace and unity to a lot of nations, unify world religions, and then reveal himself as an antichrist. And he will order everybody at the sentence of death to take a mark of the beast in order to buy and sell. And, and, uh, and, 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 and it has religious um, connotations to it. it. It's an act of devotion and wholehearted worship of, of Satan, and it's, a, and it's an economic means. You can't buy or sell without it. Anyone who takes that will go to the lake of fire, no question. Um, those who are not found written in the book of life are thrown in the lake of fire. Jesus says this in John 3, um, that, uh, that anyone that does not trust in him as the Son of God is condemned. Now, we're familiar with John 3.16, and we should be. Great verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Grab on to that verse. Sing that verse. Pray that verse. Quote that verse. Tell people about that verse. Um, but um, but re keep reading. Because the same Jesus in the same conversation says two verses later, he who believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, Jesus says, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. Okay? There's, so that means all other religions, false religions and, and cults, um, do not go into paradise and are not 
reconciled to the Father. They don't receive forgiveness. Um, they, uh, they go to the lake of fire. So Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism that doesn't, that you can be a Jew and believe in Jesus, called Messianic Jew, but Jews that don't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, they go, they're condemned already. Um, I don't think we have to go around pointing the finger and condemning them because they're already condemned. They need a message of hope and of life. They need the gospel. But know that they're condemned so that you have boldness to preach the gospel to them. They need the good news. Um, there's a testimony of a Buddhist monk. You can find this on the movie Furious Love. Um, he, um, he, he died. He was a Buddhist monk. He died, and he was taken to, to hell. And I think he actually saw the lake of fire as well. Um, and he, he, he get, during his funeral procession, they have him. He comes back to life. His monks are carrying him to bury him, and, uh, and he comes back to life. And he says, the Christians were right. The Christians are right. Jesus is God. I saw Buddha in a sea of flames. Jesus is God. We've got to believe the Christians. Real. Real stuff. Um, those who practice lawlessness in any form. Um, I've, you know, I've had a... I was, I was at SMU, and I'd be reaching out to friends and taking them to church, taking them to Bible studies, and, uh, and, and just wanting to show them the love of Jesus, tell them about Jesus, pray for them. And, and my heart was that they'd get saved. And, uh, but, but I didn't often bring up the subject of hell. Um, vast majority of the time, I didn't. But, uh, but I would often get this question from them saying, uh, do you believe non-Christians are going to hell? Do you believe that only Christians go to heaven? And I Oh gosh! Like any other question, you know. Um, but I just I have to be I have to be honest, and and if people ask us, we've got to be honest. Okay, so I, I take them to Revelation one eight. I said, well, here's what the Word of God says: it says he who overcomes will inherit all these things. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, or you can put unfaithful there. Some translate it: the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral. And again, sexual immorality, it includes any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's, that's, there it is. Um, we, if people are asking us, guys, we don't waffle. Just, just be honest. Nobody has to go to hell. I'll mention more of that in a minute. Um, and there's, there's, um, there are uh, those that do not help the least of these. Jesus said, um, I was hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, and sick, and you didn't minister to me. And this whole group of people are saying, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison didn't minister to you? He said, surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Um, these are just verses that very specifically say them. Um, there are a few other, number of other verses that possibly refer to, um, to, to other individuals that possibly refer to believers ending up in hell. Um, now, that's a very controversial subject, and I think uh, Rick, Rick Joyner, his book Final Quest, and Howard Pittman, had, both of them had an encounter at the judgment seat of Christ, I think brings a lot of light a lot of clarity to these passages because they're before the throne. Um, Howard Pittman encounters Jesus, and he's telling him, look at what I did for you, Jesus. I did all this ministry. I did all this, all this, all this. And Jesus says, here's really what your heart motives were. And he uncovers his heart, and Howard Pittman experiences the wrath of God. And he says he, was, he, he called it the temporal wrath of God for how he, he was saved, but he wasted his life. And he endured the, the burning anger of the Lord for a, for a short period of time. And uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this, that if we build on a foundation that, can be, that is not founded on Christ, we'll be saved, but as through fire. Um, and so he, uh, and the Lord, after, after, um, after that temporal wrath experience, comforted him and closed him and, and, and brought him into the city. But, um, but there was a very real, there was a, the strong reality of, a, of regret for how he had lived. Uh, Rick Joyner is at the throne room, and he sees on the outskirts of the throne individuals that he called the foolish virgins, Matthew 25, those that weren't ready for the return of Jesus, who didn't have oil in their lamps. 
So they were believers, but they had had some type of, of unpreparedness and compromise in their life. And so um, they, were, they were at the lowest rank of heaven. And by the way, um, there, is, there is a degree of reward for believers, which is in the scripture, and there's a degree of punishment for unbelievers. Some unbelievers will experience greater levels of punishment in the lake of fire than others. Um, don't have time to go into all that. But, um, so, so individuals that, that's what I lean most towards. These, these individuals and these, I'm just going to run through these verses, um, then want to go to the why. But um, that's, uh, my, my opinion is that most likely these are individuals that, that endure regret but still end up in the city. But I could be wrong. So if these describe you, you want to you repent and break away from any of these. Um, uh, people that don't forgive, um, people that offend them. Jesus, Matthew 6, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men your, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It doesn't specifically mention hell. But there is a reality that hell has a grip on your heart right now if you're holding unforgiveness. And you are carrying around demonic torment with you. And so if you are holding unforgiveness today towards anybody, you have to forgive them. Um, and uh, and, and that, that demonic power over your life will be broken. Um, Mary Baxter saw a woman... Who was uh, she? She said in this encounter that the woman was a minister of the gospel, um, but her husband had, and she saw her in hell. Um, and uh, this this woman had her husband had committed adultery, and uh, and and the husband was actually repentant um, to her and to the church, but she still just held this bitterness and this jealousy in her heart. She refused to forgive him. She ended up killing her husband, killing the mistress, and then killing herself. And she went to hell. Now, there's a lot more at work than unforgiveness, murder, and, and, but, but look where it led, okay? And uh, so if you need to forgive your brother or your friend or your spouse, your ex-spouse, you, you need to forgive them today. Don't let Satan have that grip on you anymore. Um, church leaders that, uh, that have a lifestyle of sin. Matthew 24, I don't have time to read it, but, um, but uh, um, Jesus said, put this man with the hypocrite. It's, it's a man that Jesus put in charge over his house while he was away, and uh, he got drunk, and he beat the slaves, and uh, Jesus put him with the hypocrites where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Mary Baxter did see a couple of other um, uh, former Bible teachers in hell that had, uh, had just gotten offended or stole secretly from the church and lied and just all types of greed, all this junk in their hearts that they never dealt with, they didn't turn away from. Um, so they went to hell. That's her testimony. Again, Jesus doesn't mention fire and sulfur in this. Um, so my tendency to believe is that they would be saved, um, but I could be wrong. So, and then servants of God who squander um, money, Matthew 25. The parable of the talents. The slave that hid his talent was, uh, was uh, he said, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, there you go. Um, now, again, I think Rick Joyner and, and Howard Pittman give a lot of light to these passages as well. So, but like I said, if this describes you, don't take a chance. Okay? Just get away from it. Um, there is this... With me, there's, um, I, I believe that, that when a believer, when, when someone really repents and, and puts their trust in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit, that there is such security you, can, you have as a child of God. You don't have to be in this constant state of wondering, am I, am I saved, am I not? That you can, that, that 1 John says that we know he abides in us because we received his spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit abides in me because I had he, he came to live inside of me. I remember the day he did. Um, and so, uh, so we can be secure. However, I do want to talk a little bit about repentance for just a minute. Um, this idea of leading someone to Jesus to accept Jesus, I'm just 
begging us to, to throw out that, that terminology. Um, it's not in the Bible. Jesus, we, we accept Jesus, but as far as leading someone to salvation, they have to accept Jesus. That is not what Jesus used, the language. It's not what his apostles used. It's confusing. And what's happening is that people are praying a prayer and we're patting them on the back and telling them they're saved when they haven't truly put faith in Jesus. They haven't truly repented. And I believe that, that, that there are people that ask Jesus that they pray that prayer, but they end up in hell. Um, there is a testimony from H.A. Uh, Baker, Visions Beyond the Veil. This was probably the most gripping testimonies of hell that I would hear, that um, children would be taken down into hell often before they were taken to heaven, which I thought was interesting. I don't know why, but they would see friends of theirs in hell. One boy saw a vision of an unbeliever's soul. He died. The unbeliever died. The boy sees a vision of his soul wandering from place to place across the earth until a demon came and seized him and chained him and brought him down to Hades. Um, but then another boy saw a, a, a vision of a confessing Christian who, H.A. Um, Baker quotes a, a confessing Christian who had known the Lord. That's, that's what he quotes in here, so I'm just quoting him. Um, but he hadn't truly repented. It's also quoted directly from this. Um, and it was even more terrible for this individual. Demons waited by his deathbed to bind the soul of this hypocrite. This is, I'm reading from the text. Um, not one moment of freedom to wander the earth. The demons dragged him along the earth, bound him in chains, jerked him up only to knock him back down and drag him even more, like a dead, dragging him around like a dead dog and then taking him into an eternal flame. Um, one orphan that, uh, that they ministered to, they, it was, they took off the streets that was begging and stealing. He, he was stealing in the orphanage so much that they had to, they had to tell him to leave the orphanage because it was uh, just so severe. And, um, and the boys spent several months begging and stealing and getting in all kinds of trouble. He, um, he, uh, he comes back promising repentance and promising reform. Um, Mr. Baker has mercy on him. They take him back in. And the boy actually starts experiencing visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit and supernatural revelation. Um, however, in spite of this, he ends up going back to his lifestyle of begging and stealing and, and, and whatever else. Um, those were the primary things highlighted. He, he uh, gets in a fight, gets hurt, catches in an, a deadly infection, comes back to Mr. Ba- Baker, promising repentance, promising reform again. Um, asking for mercy. They take him in. They have compassion on him. They're treating him. But the boy is like daily decaying. And, um, and he actually, the boy actually ends up dying. And Mr. Baker, he said, the night that he died, I heard howls of this, uh, the uncanny howls of a wild animal as this boy was dying. And I heard him, he heard the boy crying out, Mr. Baker, Mr. Baker, help, help, help. Mr. Baker, help. They've come for me. They come for me. Mr. Baker, help. H.A. Baker said, it became evident to us with this encounter and a number of other encounters that um, people had that, that repentance is necessary. I believe that people really do encounter the Lord through praying a prayer. If, if someone led you to accept Jesus, maybe it was very real for you. I don't want to water that down or make you feel like that that wasn't real. But um, for some people, it's, it's a confusing term. It's not. When, when, the, when the apostles would preach the gospel, uh, when, they, when Peter preached at Pentecost and people said, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say, raise your hand. And we've done this and it's been helpful and, and people have genuinely come, but I'm, I'm begging us to put away that practice. Because the response of Peter was repent and be water baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was really good news because the Lord was saying, break agreement with this darkness. Turn away from it. That's what repent is. Turn away from that old life. Turn towards God. Paul said, I have preached to you this gospel of grace, repentance from dead works, and faith toward Jesus Christ. And then we go down. We're buried with Jesus in baptism. We break off that old man, 
and that sinful nature were raised up in newness of life. And we not only, he's not just saying, okay, now you got to do everything right and be holy. He does call us to holiness. He doesn't lower the standard. But what he does is he lifts up his people to meet that standard by baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. They're clothed with power from on high. And as Ezekiel said, I will put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my ways and my statutes. Well, I can't sin. It's too hard. I can't, I can't not sin. It's too hard. It's too hard. You need the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and make you holy, transform your nature, and empower you to walk in righteousness. That is the gospel of grace. Why would God, who, who, well, first of all, who sends people there? Um, the sin to Satan, do demons. Um, we saw demons dragging people to Hades, but there is coming a day, the great white throne, great white throne, where people will face Jesus face to face, and he will, he himself will sentence them to the lake of fire. Paul says, God commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, whom he has ordained. And he's given assurance of us by raising him from the dead. Um, so we got to shake off this humanistic sentiment and unbiblical, naturalistic teaching about hell that, that oh, my sin takes us there. Demon, demons are involved. Demons are very involved in trying to keep you away from Jesus. Um, but at the end of the day, we're responsible for the decisions we make. Um, and Jesus, as God, represents the justice, the, um, the, the righteousness, the holiness of the, of the Father, um, and then, and, and, and he carries compassion. He carries, he delights in mercy. And even greater than that, as a man, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He understands what it's like to be tempted in the way you are. He understands how people have rejected you and hurt you and offended you. And he's saying, I died so that you could be healed and made whole of all of that. Um, why do people go there? Why would a loving God send people to such an awful place? Um, because he's a loving God. See, a city's coming down on the earth, and he's going to live with his bride forever. And he wants unhindered intimacy with his bride. And history has shown us that sinful men, and this is the nature of sin, it constantly seeks to dominate and to take over. Um, at the at the end of the millennium, it's a, during the millennium. God's restoring the earth, and 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 uh, and all every demon and Satan included is bound for this thousand years. So no demonic influence and deception. But um, but uh, but there is still at the end, Satan is released one more time, and he deceives. He there's a multitude of people who end up joining Satan's ranks and come up against God. So in the most ideal environment to, to, uh, to, to know Jesus, men still chose Satan. And so they deserve hell. Worship team, I want you to go ahead and come up. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Um, we struggle with this idea because we don't understand the holiness and the justice of God and, and even the love of God. He says his, that jealousy is a husband's fury. Jesus is jealous for you, and when he loves you, it's a violent love. He wants all of your love. He hates what sin is doing to you. You know, people that would encounter this, and they would go down into hell, Jesus would walk with them, and he would be weeping. He'd be weeping. He'd say, they would say, I, I died so that no one would have to go here. Why do people have to go to hell? They don't. No one does. He's saying, I died so that he wouldn't have to go there. And people would beg him, please forgive me, have mercy. I believe you now, Jesus. He says, it's too late. It's too late. I can't undo this. This is how it is. I've never, he says, I didn't prepare this place for human beings. I made it for the devil and his angels. He doesn't want anyone to go there. He doesn't want your family and your friends to go there. And friends, the Lord is, wants to fill us with his spirit to walk in righteousness and holiness, because he's way more interested in just saving us from hell. He wants to save you from sin and demonic oppression right now, today. All the sin and demonic activity in your life, 
Jesus, blood of Jesus, the Spirit of God saves you from that. And you don't have to be its slave anymore. You can be, you're no longer slaves, but you're a son. And if a son, then a co-heir through Christ. And he wants to fill us with boldness, as we've learned about hell today, to tell people the good news. That you can be set free of your oppression. You can be healed of your disease. There's good news for those who are afflicted. Come to open up these prison doors. Don't be afraid. When people ask you, don't be afraid. You know, my brother, he died 2010 summer. And uh, I, I led him to the Lord in 2006. And uh, he got water baptized, laid hands on him. He received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. Um, and, uh, and there was very evident fruit of, of repentance in his life. Um, and, and it was just amazing to see the transformation. And the last, he, he died of a sickness, of an autoimmune disease. Um, and uh, that last year of his life, he was really wrestling a lot with his faith. And um, he and I would have various conversations. He was being influenced by uh, these ultra-Orthodox Jews that were um, convincing they were targeting Christians and particularly um, Messianic Jews. And my brother was worshiping at a Messianic synagogue. These ultra-Orthodox Jews were, were targeting people in that congregation and, uh, and convincing them that Jesus was not the Messiah. And people actually ended up leaving the Messianic synagogue, renounced Jesus, and converted to Orthodox Judaism. And my brother was being influenced by these folks, so he would struggle with the deity of Jesus. And I, and I, would have, I probably had about three major conversations with him about this, where we just unpack the word of why Jesus is God, why he's the Messiah. Um, and it seemed to be helping, and it seemed to be okay. But there came a day when he was really uh, sick. He was in the hospital. And it, this last year of his life, he was in the hospital probably about half of the year um, total. And uh, he's in there, he wanted to talk to me, and he said, he said, Matthew, I just, I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't believe he's the Messiah anymore. And he was ready to just totally break away and deny Jesus. And, um, and the book of Hebrews actually is written to a group of Messianic Jews that were being dissuaded by individuals. And, and he was real clear. He's saying, don't listen to them. Don't deny me. Um, but, um, but so I'm talking to my brother. We probably have about a two-hour conversation. He's in his hospital bed. And I knew I had to talk to him about this reality. It's, it's, it wasn't really even how... I don't, I don't recall, but I don't remember using this to lead him to the Lord. I don't, you didn't even use it in previous conversations. Not to say that, that that would have been invalid, but that's just not what I did. So this third time, I'm sitting with him in the hospital room. He's on his bed, and we talk for like two hours, and he still is just in his ways. And, and he's telling me about, Matthew, what about, what about our aunt's father-in-law? He was a good man. He's a good Jewish Orthodox man, and, 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 and his son. And, and, I, and I, said, I said, Daniel, like, these... And I, and, I, and I knew some things he didn't about them. I said, this, here's, here's what was really happening here. And if they didn't repent, they're in hell. And I looked, and I'm just in tears. I said, Daniel, if you don't receive a miracle, you're going to die. And you're going to go to hell. And it's so much worse than what you're And I just am shaking, I'm stuttering, I'm stammering, I'm in tears. I'm just like, I expected to leave that hospital room not knowing how he would respond. Not knowing if he would pass away a week later and, 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 and pull, just re reject and deny Jesus. And as I'm leaving the room, and he was in and out of consciousness because of the medication he was on as I'm talking to him. So I didn't even know if he could hear me, but I'm telling him the truth. And I'm leaving that room and he, he stops me, Matthew, wait. And he gets up out of his bed, and he gets on his face, and he repents. He said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I, you are God. You're a Messiah. I look forward to your return every day. And he felt this weight lift off of his shoulders, and it was a demon. It was a deception. It broke when he repented. And he went to be with the Lord six months later. And it, he, 
in reality, and doctors said he should have died a year before he did. And it's just the mercy of the Lord to settle that issue in his heart. And I have confidence where my brother is, and I've had dreams that have confirmed where he is, that he's with Jesus right now. I tell you, guys, don't be afraid. receive the Holy Spirit and order pizza or something. <laughs> um, um, if you are a believer, you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, but there's one of these sins that I mentioned that you're, that you're in agreement with. Some of us, we struggle with sin and we're warring against it. And, and we, we have, we're, we're, ah, God, I don't want to do this. Then that, that's totally different. You can walk in confidence in the mercy of the grace of God. He's going to help you. Keep being transparent. Keep confessing that sin. But if there's something in you that you haven't repented of, repent today. Don't let Satan bind you anymore today. Okay? And I want to pray for us too for a boldness to declare the word, to, to preach the gospel. Yeah, so let's just stand right now. We're going to worship, and I'm going to let you respond really how you will. I'm going to let, you, let the Holy Spirit deal with you and minister to you and love on you. But uh, Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Bring, deal with those places, God. There's a place. Repentance is not just repenting of, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. It's repenting of actual sins. John the Baptist, people were confessing actual sins. In the first century church, people were coming and burning their sorcery and their witchcraft books. There was evidence of, of repentance. There's a tra- inward transformation of the heart that resulted in outward action. And you can be washed and cleansed today. So, Father, come. Give grace, God, to repent. Give grace to overcome sin. And, Lord, I ask for that you'd fill us with boldness to declare your word. Father, I ask for signs and wonders to be done, that you'd stretch out your hand to heal. And, Lord, as we proclaim Jesus, that we can show the world that he is alive, that he is risen from the dead and that he has the power to cleanse them from sin and make them righteous. Lord, release freedom, that spirit of freedom right here, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come, Holy Spirit, bring freedom today. In Jesus' name.